Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Rotters Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, drive a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. Stage 8 is the second of the two most important stages of the archetypal story pattern, the greatest plot structure in the world. Many would say that it is the most important stage. We've reached the ordeal, the greatest trial for our protagonist, the point closest to death, the near loss of a loved one, the goal or dream nearly destroyed, a job or status, and an explosive event that could prove fatal if one more hard mistake occurs. While the ordeal is not the ultimate battle, it is all important for our protagonist and our antagonist and reader satisfaction. Before we delve into stage eight, a word on the rest of December. With all the hectic holiday events, we take December off here at the Right Focus and we'll resume the first Wednesday of the new year. Our Discovering Plot series has two more episodes to explore the last four stages. We'll start the new year and season five with those. Season five, it's hard to believe this little podcast is entering its fifth season. Do stop by after Christmas for a little audio Christmas gift from our host, M.A. Lee. For now, let's face the ordeal. Entering Personal Darkness From Heraclitus No man can enter the same river twice. For the second time, it is not the same river, and he is not the same man. Approximately 75 of our writing energies have built to this stage 8, the ordeal. Three-fourths of the book is behind us. Are we ready? Wrapping up the previous section, I said that the ordeal is all-out hatred. It has to be hatred. This ordeal is the supreme battle. And the outcome of that battle? The encounter with the chief antagonist must drive our protagonist to sacrifice everything to defeat her or him. If unsuccessful, our protagonist will be imprisoned by the antagonist. Escape isn't possible. If successful... Remnants of the antagonistic evil will remain to twine python-like until stages 10 and 11. Protagonist To this point, our protagonists have struggled through tests with mixed successes and failures designed to change them and to prepare them for this ordeal. They have overcome trials and tribulations. They have confronted temptations. They have plunged into the deep darkness to defeat the evil that propelled them on this journey. Now they cannot fail. Failure means dire consequences. The ordeal is not a proving ground. It is the battlefield. Strategies, skills, and allies are all essential for this battle. They've been learned prior. 
and all the tests. Yet this is not the ultimate battle that comes at stage 11, the resurrection. Let's look at an example from Jane Austen's Persuasion. Anne Elliot has struggled to balance her dream of love against her obedience to family, her private desires against public criticism. The daughter of nobility, she fell in love with an untitled sea captain, unacceptable both to her family and to the mentor who replaced her late mother. Anne's introverted personality prevented her from publicly declaring her dream. In the ordeal, Anne finally and publicly demands her desire. She crashes through her introversion and stops placating others. She risks criticism and ostracism to achieve her private desire. She tells her brother-in-law to ensure that Captain Wentworth knows he is invited to her family's party. Her urgency is an open declaration of what she intends to pursue brought into the very circle that rejected him. Anne knows that her father and sisters will despise Captain Wentworth just as much as they once did. That no longer matters to her. She knows that her mentor will counsel her over and over and again to marry the man she perceives as more suitable, the future heir to the Elliot title and estate. She knows that the world will view her choice as unsuitable, and she knows that Captain Wentworth is just as aware of these problems. He has hinted, however, that he is still enamored of her. He knows his rival, and once left, rather than maintain the same field of conflict over Anne's heart. Will he continue to pursue her, or will he cede the field finally and forever? How can she know what Wentworth will do this time? How can she ensure that he receives the correct information about her heart when social constraints work against them? Wentworth writes her a letter, leaving the question open at the end. In the 1995 film, the letter gives Anne hope, even as it raises new fears that family will once again interfere. She tries to enlist the help of her bumbling brother-in-law, but he's no help at all. Fate steps in. Anne encounters Frederick Wentworth on the street. Her brother-in-law continues on, totally unaware that he is helping these two lovers. And Anne and Frederick cleave to each other, there on the street, in front of everyone. After they share the kiss that we have been rooting for, they stroll through the streets. They are so engrossed in each other that they don't see a circus arrive with jumping acrobats, exotic costumes and animals, and celebratory music. The riotous celebration in their hearts is all they see. Here's an example from The Thirteenth Warrior, based on the book Eaters of the Dead by Michael Crichton. The ordeal in The Thirteenth Warrior occurs deep in the lair of the Wendell, the cannibalistic cave dwellers. While Ibn and the remaining warriors hold off the Wendell warriors, Bullvi goes to defeat the mother of the Wendell. Bullvi is conditioned to protect women, from queen to the lowliest servant. Early in the film, at the call to adventure, when Ibn first meets the Northmen, we see Bullvi's conditioning. The dim lighting makes the details difficult to see, but do invest the effort. First, the old king is dead. A new king must be found. The challenger sits beside Bullvi at the funeral feast. He wants to attack, 
hoping to catch his rival by surprise. He plans to strike as the servant girl offers a tray of food. Bullvi anticipates his rival's plan. When the girl offers the tray, he backs her up with a gesture, getting her out of the way before the battle begins. At the ordeal, Bullvi faces the Wendell mother, a queen with a harem of warriors, a corrupt leader who considers human sacrifice as holy worship, and who is a cannibalistic predator. They eat the dead. She is his ultimate enemy. He anticipates an old woman. She is young, healthy, agile. He wields a sword. She has only a claw. He knows women are weaker than he is. She levels their battle with poison. He expects a woman untrained in battle. She fights with speed and skill. She is everything he doesn't expect, and she cuts him with the envenomed claw because he never expected her. Antagonist. Wars are not won if the protagonist doesn't have an all-out hatred for the antagonistic force. Anne Elliot has to hate her family's hidebound snobbery and illogical relationships to cast off her belief in their rightness. We have seen her change coming, her older sister's entitled privilege, her younger sister's absolute selfishness, and both evils in equal parts in her father. Her mentor, Lady Russell, is now also proven in error by Mrs. Smith's gossip based on fact, not speculation. Anne's inner guide led her to Frederick. Now she understands that her love for Frederick was a leading away and not astray. Bullvi wins the battle but also loses. Because he didn't expect the Vendal mother, because he didn't hate her enough, he allows her to strike a lethal blow. His mortality comes rushing toward him. He separates her head from her body, defeating her. But she has already killed him, slow poison with no antidote. And the second Wendall leader still must be defeated. The Antagonist and Their Ordeal In the ordeal, good writers consider their protagonist hatred of the antagonist. Great writers consider their antagonist hatred of the protagonist. The antagonist has three shining moments in story. First, when the deer is destroyed, propelling the protagonist into the journey. That's stage two. Second, this ordeal. And third, the resurrection, stage 11. The resurrection is the culminating battle of Deathly Hallows. Harry and Voldemort finally mano y mano. Yet we are discussing the ordeal. The protagonist wants success. He might even achieve it temporarily. However, the antagonistic force remains strong until stage 11. The ordeal is stage 8. Antagonists despise everything the protagonists stand for. Their hatred, however, becomes a weakness. The ordeal in Deathly Hallows occurs when Harry faces Voldemort and his minions in the forest. Harry knows he will die. Yet he has the Resurrection Stone, which the audience also knows but has forgotten. Voldemort gloats over his success in enticing Harry into the Forbidden Forest. He has won! Harry cannot escape him. And Voldemort ridicules the poor deluded fool who willingly sacrificed himself for weak wizards and half-bloods. 
this deluded fool will die. But Harry can never escape Voldemort. They were connected from the beginning, although Voldemort didn't realize it. Harry has recognized the connection between them. That connection has to cease, or Voldemort will continue to live. Harry is harboring a horcrux, keeping a piece of Voldemort alive, and a piece is all that is needed for his resurrection. The horcrux in Harry has to die in order for Voldemort to die. Sacrifice for others is not a weakness, but a strength. Friendship is common caring and loyalty. Voldemort does not inspire friendship. His followers stay because they hate the opposing side or they delight in evil. Neither reason inspires a loyalty that will endure hardship. Harry will not die. He has the Philosopher's Stone for his resurrection. Voldemort's unknown horcrux will die, weakening him in unexpected ways. The Deathly Hallows ordeal is a series of juxtapositions between Harry and Voldemort, and juxtapositions make the best conflict. The inmost cave of the ordeal is more than the location of the Forbidden Forest. The darkest fear of all is death for the audience, as well as for this antagonist. Voldemort, who fears death more than anything else, believes he has conquered it. The darkest evil is revenge. Harry counters Voldemort's revenge against all perceived slights with compassion and loyalty and sacrifice, the ultimate loving gift. The ordeal leaves Voldemort thinking he has won. Harry, though, knows he has defeated Voldemort in everything that matters. The encounter with Dumbledore in the afterlife waiting station merely confirms what Harry has discovered and what Voldemort will never understand. All-out hatred never withstands love. We strengthen our story's ordeals by considering both protagonist and antagonist. We can choose to have our protagonist succeed or fail. With persuasion, success leads to greater success. In 13th Warrior, we anticipate a heroic death even as we screw up tension for the final battle. Deathly Hallows shows us failure that is success and success that is failure. The ordeal is followed immediately by stage nine, the reward. Without a reward, few audience members are willing to continue with our stories and face it. By this point, we writers need a reward as well. What do writers want to know about plot? What do writers need to know about plot? The right focus is taking a comprehensive view of plot, the structure that develops characters, genre expectations, major story structures, pacing, tension, suspense. We cover it all in this series entitled Discovering Your Plot from M.A. Lee's Godbook of the Same Name. Writers will discover unexpected insights and methods that deepen their understanding of this major craft in the storytelling world.
Thanks for listening to The Rock Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.